Well, as, as uh, Daniel said, um, it can be a little bit, bit intimidating to get up here and speak to a large crowd. I think that's true anytime, but especially when you're handling the Word and you want to do a good job with it, it becomes extremely difficult. So uh, most of you are friends, maybe a few enemies, um, so you cut me a little slack here today. That would be great. Um, and we'll go from there. I'll always remember uh, Joel talking about his early days as he came to this church. And uh, I don't remember if he said he would actually throw up in the morning before he got up here. But I heard it was pretty bad uh, for a while. And he, uh, he sweated uh, bullets for a long time. So, so I guess I'm in good company. But uh, Jeremy asked me a couple months ago, if I would be willing to speak this Sunday on the responsibilities of leaders to the flock. It took me a couple weeks to agree to it, as you might expect. Um, I am not used to speaking to large groups, and certainly not in this setting, with this type of responsibility. So please focus on the content more than my delivery or style. Um, I will also apologize up front. I'll be doing a lot of reading. And the reason for that is to ensure that I do not misspeak or ramble, which is very possible. Um, My goal here is to be concise, accurate, and hopefully fairly short uh, in conveying what the Word of God has to say about the responsibility of leaders to the flock. Um, Jeremy tends to speak in some pretty fast bursts and a lot of words. Hopefully that will not be the case for me. Um, So having said that, uh, let's, uh, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for even the service already this morning. Um, As Dave sang, uh, just uh, how you are with us each step of the way, and you will not um, leave us. You will not go away. You continue to draw us, and we thank you for that. Uh, Watch over us this morning as we look into your word. Um, I just pray that I would have the words to say, that it would convey the message that you have in your word and, and not what I have to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Jeremy spoke on our relationships and responsibilities to one another. Today, I will be covering the responsibilities of leaders to the flock. Um, if you have your outline in front of you, I think you'll be able to follow it fairly well. Um, But I'll just give you a hint. This is the first one. Not all Christians are part of the flock, just those that are among you who are recognized as part of the local body. Shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. Acts 20, 17 through 35, gives us some insight as to what is involved in the shepherding and what it looks like. If you want to turn to the passage, I'm not really going to read it, but I'm going to give you a summary, a little bit of of what it says. Um, So you can follow along if you'd like. Paul, in this passage, was on his way back to Jerusalem, hoping to get there in time for the day of Pentecost. So sailing past Ephesus, he stopped in Miletus. From there, he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come to him. And when they had come, Paul begins his address to them in verse 17 of chapter 20. Paul recounts that from the very first day, he was with them the whole time, serving the Lord with tears and trials from plots of the Jews. He recounted how he did not shrink from declaring anything to them that was profitable, both publicly and from house to house. 
He testified to both Jews and Greeks repentance to God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He was now headed to Jerusalem being led by the Spirit and also being told by the Spirit that he would encounter bonds and afflictions. But Paul did not consider his life as any account to himself. His goal was to finish the course and the ministry that he'd received from the Lord, which was to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In verse 25 through 27, Paul tells them he will not see them again and states that he has served well and is blameless of the blood of all men because he did not shrink from declaring to them the whole purpose of God. This passage is background to what he wants to tell the Ephesian elders and the charge that he is about to give them, which is their responsibility as elders and leaders to the flock, which is why I'm covering this this morning, because it's, it's very good background to our, to our passage in 1 Peter. In verse 28, Paul tells them, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul warns them that after his departure, things were going to get ugly. Savage wolves would come in and not spare the flock. Even from among some of their own leaders, men would rise up and would not speak the truth, cause dissension, and would draw disciples away. This, in fact, did happen in 1 Timothy 1, 3-7. In the final verses of this passage, Paul charges them to be on the alert. Work hard. Be an example to the flock, as Paul himself was to them. Paul ministered to his own needs and to others by working hard with his hands. Paul led by example and coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Paul was an example of how an elder was to function and conduct his life before the flock. What a true shepherd was to look like. With this background and seeing Paul's heart and example, this now brings us back to our main passage in 1 Peter. Um, a little more background, I'm going to, uh, before the, we get to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, <clears throat> we're going to read uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. So if you want to uh, look at that, I will be actually reading straight from there. Behold, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not know or obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those Uh, also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The Apostle Peter writing uh, writing here took place around 63 AD. 
He's writing primarily to the Gentile Christians who were scattered abroad. The book details in large part the sufferings of Christians in a pagan society. This was not so much direct physical persecution yet, although it would become that shortly, but more political, social, and economic. This was written just before the outbreak of Nero's persecution in A.D. 64. Peter would then be martyred somewhere around A.D. 67. Peter states in chapter 5, verse 12, the main theme of this letter, the true grace of God in the life of the believer, as he had just laid out in the previous five chapters. Although this message today is not about suffering, Peter's instructions here in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, come directly out of this context. With this, in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, Peter now moves on to exhorting his fellow elders among the people. This leads us into the main text for today. Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The instruction here from Peter or the what to do, is pretty straightforward. Um, we get that right away. Shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight. The how to do it is laid out, and that's fairly clear as well. But at times, may be considerably more challenging to carry it out, as we all know. Um, so how to do this? Point A, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, or willingly, according to the will of God. Verse 2. The elders here are to shepherd the flock and exercise oversight, not being forced into it or begrudgingly. Do it with joy, not with displeasure. Do it not just as a duty, but as a privilege and an honor. Willingly. Help the flock mature and grow, protect, and help feed them well. <clears throat> In John 10, 12 and 13, we find an example of a false shepherd. John 10, 12 and 13. You know, sometimes it's, it's good to see the good examples, and sometimes it's good to see the not-so-good examples. And uh, in John 10 here, it talks about a shepherd who is a hired hand. And it says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is, he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So in this case, he is not a true shepherd. Just as Paul did not shrink from his responsibilities in Acts 20, so are the leaders not to shrink from theirs when things get tough, as a true shepherd or owner that has an investment in the flock. Not just a hired hand that may cut and run at the first sign of trouble, because he is not a true shepherd. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. Uh, point B, do this not for sordid or shameful gain, but do it eagerly. 
The idea here is not to use his position as somehow to gain monetarily or to be greedy because of the position, but tenderly shepherd and watch over those that God has made you overseers of and do it eagerly. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37, I was thinking as I was reading of this, or looking over this again this morning, we were just at Samuel's uh, graduation party yesterday, and kind of reminded me of of that. I don't know why, but uh, just thinking through that again. Um, But here we have an example of a true shepherd. And uh, in 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37, I'll just read that. David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. David here is recounting uh, his experiences as as a shepherd and pleading his case with King Saul to let him go and and fight the uh, Philistine champion, Goliath. As someone who had a stake in the family business and not wanting to disappoint his father, with the loss of any sheep, David rescued the lamb and killed both the lion and the bear. This is not a picture of someone that is a shepherd just for the daily wage or for the position. I don't know about you, but uh, I've got a flock of sheep out there, lions coming after it, Uh, I'm just hired on for a little while, yeah, I'm going to run out, chase that lion down, grab him by the beard and kill him. Probably not going to happen. But David had a stake in this. This was his family business. He was a true shepherd. And obviously the picture here of what that picture is of Christ, the true shepherd. Um, So this is not a picture of someone that is just a shepherd for a daily wage or for the position. David was a true shepherd that risked everything to save and protect the sheep. In Hebrews 13, 17, it is again pointed out that leaders will have to give an account for the flock, just as David would have to give an account to his father. Point C, do this not as domineering or lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Do not use this position to lord over those in your charge. Lead, serve, and work, not with a heavy hand or superior attitude, but as a servant of Christ. There are times where there would be difficult decisions or even discipline within the flock, but even that is not to be done in a domineering fashion. Be an example and model of how to conduct one's life and, uh, and that of the church. In Hebrews 13:7, Paul writes, Remember those who have led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Just like Paul in many passages says to imitate his example as he has imitated Christ, so are the leaders to imitate Christ as the example and in turn be worthy of being imitated. 
In 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, we find the qualifications for the leaders. And you can turn there if you'd like, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Um, it's not my goal here at all to lay out all the qualifications and discuss the qualifications for leaders or elders. Uh, but I do want to cover it just so you are familiar with it. Um, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, it is a trustworthy statement. If a man desires... If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. By the way, as we're going to see... um, Those are not just qualifications for leaders and and elders. Those are qualifications really for every Christian to be imitated, to be be learned, to grow into, and, and to be sought after. So if a man aspires to the office of overseer, Paul lays out the qualifications that he must have. The list is fairly short. How they play out in a man's life, however, is very large. It is not my intent here, again, to discuss or break down each of the qualifications. It is my intent to point out that these qualifications speak primarily to a man's character, discipline, and spiritual maturity much more than an individual's skill, uh, intelligence, or position in life. It should also be noted, again, that this is the same list that all Christians should aspire to and be marked by. So the picture here is of a mature Christian man that has a track record of living a godly life in front of the church and outside of the church. His reputation is without question, both inside and out. He is well thought of by all who know him for his character and how he conducts um, all areas of his life. He has a long history and pattern of being well-rounded and mature. He has managed his life, his affairs, and his family well. This does not mean that he is perfect, never sins, or is without failings. But on the whole, those would be the exception and would not characterize his life. It also does not mean that he is a wealthy or even successful uh, in the eyes of the world, although he could be. The final analysis by Paul is this. How can an elder shepherd the flock and oversee it if he can't even manage his own life or that of his family well? The answer is... He cannot, because there would be no example to follow. If you're looking at your outline now, it looks like we should be done. Um, We're not. I told Daniel and um, Jeremy this morning, I said, by the way, there's going to be a point D, which they were excited about, because, you know, they said, well, can't you get, you know, 35, 40 minutes? I said, yep, 20 or 25 will do just fine. (laughs) So so there really should be a point D on your outline, um, but there's not. Um, So you can just sit back, uh, and uh, we will go into a point D. In this final section, there is both a warning and some encouragement for leaders who shepherd the flock. 
leaders will have to give an account, Hebrews 13, 17. If you want to look at that, I will read that, Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. Church leaders and elders will give an account for how they shepherd the flock. For they watch over the souls of the flock in their charge. They are to do this with joy and not grief. There is a responsibility here, not only for the leaders, but for the flock. Again, the idea here is that the leaders serve with joy. And you might see that theme again and again in almost every passage here. They're to serve with joy. As those in charge obey them, um, it will be a joy and not a burden. I'm sorry, as as those in their charge obey them, it will be a joy and not a burden. If leading becomes burdensome because of a congregation that will not obey or question and push back on every decision, then what profit or advantage is that to the flock? The answer in the word here is none. It would be unprofitable for you and no advantage. This again is not a picture of dictatorial leadership, but one of servant leadership, which is to be imitated. I can say personally that it has been a joy to serve this congregation. That cannot be said for many, quote, Bible-believing churches today. Many of those are in constant turmoil and strife. This does not mean that the elders, as elders, we do not feel the weight of our responsibility before the Lord as having to give an account. I can assure you that it weighs heavy on each of us and is never far from our minds. We also many times feel unequipped to handle the overwhelming task that is before us and at times fall short of the standard. I think this continually drives us to realize our shortcomings and that we cannot do this in our own power. If it were not for the Spirit leading us, we would fail miserably. The general maturity of this flock and dedication to the Word in this church is not something you find in every congregation. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, we find that there are also some rewards for the work that will stand up to the test. This is not only for leaders, but for all believers. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is revealed by fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. This passage clearly refers to rewards for our work done for the Lord. Paul states in verse 10 that he laid a foundation and another is building upon it. That foundation is Christ, as is stated in verse 11. So be careful how you build upon it. Men build with many different types of materials or work. Each man's work will be tested by the fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If there is anything left after going through the fire, he shall receive a reward. Whatever is burned up, he shall suffer loss. This passage is not speaking about salvation, 
or the loss of your salvation, as Jeremy mentioned earlier. Rather, it is speaking to what we do for Christ. Will it hold up under fire? Was it truly done for Christ, or was it done for selfish motives or in our own power? These rewards are available to all Christians. Clearly, those who are continually laboring, shepherding, and leading will receive rewards for that service at the judgment seat of Christ. Some may be burned up, and others will stand. As Paul states here, let us be careful how we build on the foundation of Christ. Let us all work with quality labor so as not to suffer loss. And I would say amen to that. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for your word, how it instructs us, it teaches us, it matures us, it uh, brings us up short, it humbles us. Um, I pray that you would watch over us through this day, that it would sink deep into our hearts as the word has went forth. Thank you again for how you love us and you shepherd us each day. In Jesus' name, amen.